After everything that's happened this past year and the past four years, are you wondering about whether there's a place for you in the church or in Christianity? Hey friends, I'm Mark Allen Shelsky, and this is The Apprenticeship Way, a podcast about spiritual growth following the way of Jesus. This is episode 41, Trust Your Intuition About the Church. Today's podcast is sponsored by a little guide I wrote a few years ago called Discovering Your Authentic Core Values. Life presents us with way too many options. We're surrounded by potential opportunities and obligations and distractions. And on top of that, our time is limited. We can't do everything. A meaningful life that is not stretched thin comes from learning when to say no and when to say yes. In this little guide, I walk you through a simple step-by-step process that will help you clearly identify a compass for your life that is unique to you, to give you the guidance you need to be able to know what to say yes to and what to say no to. Now, more than a thousand people have used this process so far, and many of them have found it deeply helpful. Maybe you will too. You can find this short little book on Amazon or at my website at www.authenticcorevalues.com. Buying these books that I write is the best way you can support what I do so that I can continue to do things like this very podcast. So thank you for checking it out. A whole bunch of us, and by us I mean folks in the extended Christian family, are finding ourselves in a position of having to rethink some big things. This last year, the last four years, have been revelatory. We're seeing people who wear the label Christian behaving in ways that just don't square with the gospel. Some of us have even been told that if we don't line up on certain conservative political beliefs that we aren't even Christian. I've written three lengthy essays about this on my blog since the election that have been polarizing. I've had more people unfollow and unsubscribe in the last three months than in the entire decade that I have been writing online. But at the same time, I've had more emails from folks encouraging me and asking the same kinds of questions. Where do we fit? What I'm seeing around me doesn't look like Jesus. What do I do? I love Jesus. I want to follow Jesus, but if these other Christians are any indication, I don't know if I'm even Christian anymore. Have you had those thoughts? Well, I can tell you from my own experience, conversations that I've had here in my community and the stacks of emails in my inbox, you're not alone. In the next several episodes, I'm dedicating this podcast to digging into those questions, to sorting out where do we go from here? If we love Jesus, but we are increasingly feeling alienated from the Christianity we see around us, what's next? And so today I'm excited to start this series by introducing you to Father Kenneth Tanner. Father Kenneth is the pastor of Holy Redeemer, a charismatic Episcopal congregation outside Detroit, Michigan. In addition to his pastoral work, he's written for Sojourners, Clarion, the Journal of Spirituality and Justice, and from time to time he writes on his own on the Medium website. I met Father Tanner through the Open Table Conference in Portland way back in pre-COVID times when we could get together in big spaces with lots of people. And then I met him again through a fantastic online course on the Gospel of John that I've been taking during this corona season. It was my sense in listening to him that this whole crisis of faith that seems to be sweeping American Christianity is something that he's seen, that he takes seriously, and that he has some thoughts about. And so I invited him to kick off this series. Well, Father Kenneth Tanner, I am thrilled to be able to sit here and be in this conversation with you because the moment that we're in right now 
has a particular uh, weight to it that I've not experienced before. There are a lot of people, uh, people I'm talking to in my local community, in my local church, people I'm talking to online, who are in this place where they kind of thought they understood the gospel. They kind of thought they knew what the Christian life entailed, what Christian ethics looked like. And then the past year happened and the past four years really happened. And all of these events sort of became a, an unveiling. We have murders of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and the reaction to that and all of the back and forth between different people. And then we've had the pandemic and how something as simple as wearing face masks to take care of the people around you suddenly erupted into this enormous issue that was about uh, rights and politics and what kind of Christian you are. We are hearing people who ostensibly wear the label Christian say things that seem to glorify a certain kind of nationalism or a conservative politics, no matter the cost. I, I've seen people and had conversations with people and I felt in some ways myself this deep question. I don't know where I fit in this. What do we say to these people who are saying, I, I am looking at Christianity in the world around me right now, and I don't recognize the life that I thought we were called to? The first thing to say is, yes, this does not look good. <laughs> the first thing to say is, you are not alone. The mm. first thing to say is, um, this is this is not a good situation because there are plenty of voices telling them, oh, no, you're the one who, you know, doesn't see things um, the right way. And I think if you're alarmed about what you see happening in the church in America, you probably have good intuition, you know, and you need to be affirmed in the intuitions hmm. that, that you that you have, that something's really desperately wrong. Whether it comes to the church's encounter with culture or politics, um, the gospel that it's proclaiming, the activities that it, it's uh, pursuing in the world, and so forth. I think it goes back, and of course, I know you'll agree, and many people who are listening will agree that it goes back, you know, long before, uh, you know, the last year, the last four years. I've been dealing with young people yeah. for a decade um, or more in the work that I do. That are feel a feel a a real alienation from the institution of the church and of the church's what the way the church is present in the culture and the kinds of voices that are elevated. The first thing we have to do is stop telling people that there's not a problem. <laughs> you know, uh, right. you know, there there is a problem. And uh, it's it's just like with somebody who's addicted to, you know, the, the church has become addicted to politics and culture. You know, you have to first admit that you have a problem and confess you have a problem and then you have to be willing to do something about it. You know, so if you've got an yeah. institution, you've got leaders, you've got movements that aren't willing to recognize that uh, they're really not reflecting um, their Lord. They're really not reflecting the church's the, their Lord's core teachings, um, his core practices, and so forth. And uh, we've got to first say, yes, that's a problem. Then second, I mean, I think it's right. rec recognition that a lot of the institutions we grew up in, in the America and the church, we, we grew up in institutions that have amnesia about the gospel. Mm, um, right. And, and, and right. you know, and, and that is, that's a dangerous situation to be in when someone cannot remember who they are. And so th there's a real amnesia about the encounter with, 
with Christ and what that encounter was like for people um, who encountered God in the flesh and Jesus and in the testimonies that they give and in the way they interpret Christ taught them to interpret the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Also, just uh, how they saw all these things in the first and second century in Africa and Asia Minor and how they saw all these things in Ireland, you know, in the in the eighth and ninth and tenth century and so forth and so on, how people were uh, responding to this and what's now Turkey, you know, in the uh, third uh, and fourth centuries. So we have forgotten our story. We've forgotten our history and uh, we've forgotten our identity. When, when you say we have amnesia, I, I hear you saying not that we individually are forgetting right. our baptism or our, you're talking about the Christian story historically, Yeah. right? Yeah. And, and so like when I grew up in a church, the church I grew up in, it was very easy to get the picture that what you hear every week in the pulpit, this is in fact what Paul preached. Yeah. And this is what has always been preached. And of course, all Christians throughout history believe this exact same thing that we're talking about right now, Yeah, which is why these people are looking at the world around them and going, where do I fit in this? If yeah. the people who carry that story are behaving so outside the bounds of what it seems like would honor Jesus. Yeah. If our institutions have amnesia about their encounter with Christ and what he, how he teaches us both what it means to be God and what it means to be human, we're going to participate to the extent that we've participated historically over 10, 20, 30 years right. in an institution that has amnesia. We, we will um, also have some amnesia ourselves, but it is a collective right. thing before it, you know, is, is the individual. I'm, I'm astonished by Christ, um, his person and my encounter with him. And it's not just a personal encounter. Yeah. It's a social encounter. I'm encountering with everyone else who's ever encountered him. And the mystery just gets getting deeper and I keep falling more in love with it. And I, it doesn't look or sound like a lot of what people encounter in uh, contemporary American culture and the political yes. arena and public life. And I just want to do the best job I can to say, you know, yes, young person, yes, person who's left church. Um, yes. Person who's disappointed and this leader and so forth and so on. I hear you and I accept that there's big problems, but there's good news. That's the intuition you were talking about, right? That if we've, if we've spent any time in the gospels, if we've had a personal encounter with Christ, we're having this sense in our gut, something is off. This doesn't smell Jesus-y. This doesn't seem like who Jesus is. And yet in American Christianity, there's been this tendency to take the word gospel, turn it into a Smurf word, which means we can make it mean anything we want, mm-hmm. and and say, well, that's not in keeping with the gospel. You caring about uh, systemic racial injustice, that's not the work of the gospel. Yeah. And yet something in my gut says, wait a minute, wait a minute. If some group of people in our society are being injured and that injury is not being attended to, how can it not be gospel work? to stand in the way of that injury? How can it not be gospel work to try and repair what's been wounded? Yeah, I mean, all we have to do, I mean, we can look at the words of our Lord um, um, when he's talking in Matthew 25. Sometimes people will come and say to me, you know, I'm struggling with believing in God. Well, he tells us that we can find him in the prisoner and that we can find him Mm, in the poor. And then we can find him in the stranger, which means refugee or foreigner. We can uh, find him in the sick. So come with me to the hospital. 
and come with me to the prison. Yeah, right. And come with me to downtown Pontiac. And if we were at the border, I would say, come with me to, I mean, I used to live in California for 20 years. I'd say, you know, come with me to the gas station where they, they're waiting to get jobs every morning or come with me to the border and we'll find and meet Jesus. Come, huh. we'll find God, you know, by, by talking with and, and, and having relationship with and, and um, being changed ourselves by encounter with those at the margins. And then we're going to start we're going to start having a sense over time that there is someone above all of that who is energizing our love, <laughs> energizing what we're learning from the poor and from the stranger and from the sick and from the prisoner and uh, that he's real and that he loves us and he loves them. Um, we don't go to put people in relationship with God. Uh, God has already related himself to every human being who's ever lived. Oh, yes. Right. Um, you know, yes, he yes. is he is their creator, whether they're running from that or they embrace that or they maybe have some doubts about that or what have you. He's already the creator. The other really startling truth is that God has become their human brother in the flesh of Jesus, the son. Um, <laughs> every human person on the planet, again, whether they are indifferent to it or um, maybe antagonistic toward it or um, doubtful, um, skeptical, fine. God has already related himself as creator and brother to every human person. Both of these things are exercises in speaking what is the gospel. And then when we say what the gospel right. is truthfully, it begins to reorient us to the questions. Right, because the, the, the gospel presentation that so many of us are familiar with is really just about me getting to eternity with God, my mm -hmm. individual soul, yeah. me being made right before God so that God can stand to be in my presence, uh, me getting to live eternally rather than just this, this, you know, life that we're in. And so even the things that you're talking about, like engaging the poor, caring for the poor, ser serving people in the margins, those kinds of things are often then visualized as good behaviors that Christian people will do because we're supposed to be loving, and so we're enacting good behaviors. You're talking about them as, nope, that's the encounter. That is actually yeah. where we find Jesus. It's not a list of good behaviors that you should do. It's certainly not witnessing in the sense, well, here's the here's that another word, right, that has been redefined. Yeah. The early church, witnessing was the, the martyrdom of your life. The church I grew up in, witnessing was going somewhere and telling them, do you know where you are going when you die tonight? If you don't, I have the key for you. Yeah. The way the, the first Christians, and Rodney Stark has a wonderful book on this, converted the empire was they would go to where the orphans were and where the widows were and where the sick was. No one wanted to have anything to do with because maybe I'll get sick or maybe I'm, my children will get sick. As they did, you know, the, the children, Christians and the children right. of Christians would get sick when they went to take care of the poor. This is not about avoiding hardship, but they would go and do those things and build the hospitals and build the orphanages and build the schools and and take care of the people that the rest of society had just said, well, you know, let them fall through the cracks. And, and it was their care for those who society didn't value um, or who you know, society had made other that eventually like, what, what is going, what, what's going on with these people to, to live self-sacrificially and love for other people, which for yeah. us is, yes. you know, the end of what it means to be human is to be, you know, on the tree 
um, suffering for the world that you love. God loves the world. Um, God made the world in love. And it's because God loves yes. the world that he doesn't seek to escape the world. He enters the world. Uh, of all uh-huh. the things in all creation, he decides to become human. Um, you know, he doesn't become a mountain right. or right. an orchid right. or a zebra. He becomes human, forever identifying himself with us, um, with every human person. He uh, stands f- for us, alongside us, against all of our act- all those who would accuse us as dark spirits. Um, he stands with the creation and is seeking to renovate and restore, um, not alienate or destroy or annihilate. Athanasius says he sees us falling not only through death, but into non-existence that we came from. And it's his good, mm-hmm. where, where his humanity is his good creation that he loves. So he becomes human in order to, to also die and fall. And he keeps falling until he's below the lowest fallen human being. And then to raise us all back um, to permanence, to give the cosmos, which is is disintegrating over a long, long, long period of time, uh, his permanence. And to grant all of us his permanence. Because he doesn't envy, I, I love Athanasius, he doesn't envy anyone existence. So it it is about some of the things mm. that you were saying that it is about, you know, giving us, you know, permanence. Um and, and eternity, but not just at the end of our life, you know, right now, um, by uh, our entering into the way he views every moment and recognizing his presence in every moment. Uh, so there's lots of grand reorientations that need to take place in our minds and hearts to begin to see the world and to be able to see other human beings in the same way that God does, the human God does. I mean, it seems like that part of that reorientation must have then to do with how we essentially see God. Part of the problem when people are looking around at the, at what's happening in Christianity right now must be this intuition that says this doesn't seem essentially godly. This doesn't seem like the character of God. But we've been given a story that the character of God looks a certain way. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, Christians fundamentally began with uh, the revelation of God that we have in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the one who reveals the Father. So he's the one who, as you know, marching through the Gospels, and as Paul and the other apostles try to explain to us what's happening in these uh, events, where we begin to see that, um, you know, the people who had an expectation about God based on the Scriptures, um, meaning the Old Testament, which was the only Bible that anybody had at the time, they were looking for God in the wrong place. You know, and, um, you know, Jesus just says it right out. He says, you know, you search the scriptures, um, but the scriptures speak speak of me. And he he shows the disciples how here's how to read these texts and see them in light of my person. And some of the things that we see about Jesus, he always only brings life. He never he never brings death. He only always brings healing and not disease. He only always brings liberty and not oppression. When he gets up in the, you know, in the synagogue and, you know, reads the scroll of Isaiah and sits down, it's, it, he, he is exactly what, what Isaiah prophesies. He's the embodiment of this liberty that is going to be proclaimed to the captives. Um, he's the embodiment of the healing uh, that's, that's proclaimed for the sake of the, the uh, overthrow of all of the debt and everything else that, um, is holding humanity down. He showed up 
And so we have to start reading all other wisdom and, and, the, and the, the Old Testament scriptures themselves in light of his person. Here's what's interesting. This is not an 18th or 19th or 20th century impulse of people who want to make God kinder or nicer or, or whatever. This is a first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, and so on century quest. And and we have all of these men and women as partners in the dialogue. And when we began to encounter the way Christians and their wisdom have approached our understanding of God and the person of Jesus Christ, and as we look at the full revelation of God in the face of Jesus, we began to understand um, that that he is just life and light, and that the enemy is the one who comes to kill and to steal and destroy. So this this thread is through the whole story. That's the amnesia part. Right. You're saying we need to learn about we that don't know need to learn about how this picture of God is embedded in the Christian story all the way back to the beginning. Yeah, there's the other story, the idea that God is about power, the idea that God is ultimately wrathful, the idea that if you don't comply with the things the church says, then you're not on God's good side. That thread, there's certainly been people in the church's story all the way back that have also presented that yeah but that's not that's not the that's not the story of the faithful witnesses yeah and and you're looking for you know the consensus i mean it's true it's there 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 are always going to be people who are ready to shame you know there's always people that are ready to um you know i don't know take take a scripture and take a false view of god and and uh underwrite slavery or underwrite right you know war or whatever um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, this calls for discernment and the Holy spirit. I, I do think because we're, you know, God created is good. We can fundamentally trust, um, that, uh, our intuition, not, not, we can't always trust our heart. <laughs> um, but our, you know, this gut intuition that we have that, man, that's wrong. It is wrong for somebody to abuse a child. It is wrong for uh, a woman to be subjected to um, uh, violence. Um, it's it's wrong for yeah, right. nations to make war um, uh, on each other, and greed is wrong, and so forth and so on. These things come from somewhere right. in the cre- God's cre- you know God created us in His image, and 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 our, these intuitions about what's right and wrong. We can trust, and we can also trust the intuition that when we see something that says that God underwrites genocide or that God underwrites slavery or that God underwrites abuse, um, that we, we the intuition that that can't be right needs to be followed. Because, listen, it's a good thing that God has wrath. I'm glad that God opposes with everything there is inside of him a little girl being abused sexually in the dark. And in secret. Yes, right. You're okay. right, right. Yes. So um, I'm glad that when he looks at a you know field strewn with animals and human beings that are dead because of war, um, as he has for you know millennia, that his heart is sad and that his you know anger is invoked at the the, the chaos and destruction that we've sown, and, and that actually judgment is something that is good and you know and that we we should be i mean we should be ready to embrace it um but we only 
come to the point where we realize that we're ready to embrace the judgment of God when we understand his character. You know, when we perfect love casts out fear, a fear of judgment, in fact. And so we welcome yes, right. the wrath of God and we welcome the judgment of God because we know that his judgment is meant to cleanse, that his judgment is meant to heal, that whatever sword he might pick up uh, it, to to cut out something is the sort of a surgeon, not the sort of a, of a conqueror. This is a loving God who wants to restore us to everything he intended for us and for the creation from the beginning. So we can trust the wrath of God and we can trust the judgment of God. There is vice in all of our virtues and there's virtue in our vices. And what right. human being other than the human being who's God, and, and you know, just ex examples, um, uh, you know, sometimes we marry the wrong person. It just happens. We're humans. Yeah. Um, but we would never save a child that was born of a marriage. We shouldn't, you know, have entered into is, you know, evil or, a, you know, bad or whatever. Of course we wouldn't. That would be wicked to suggest right. that. Right, right, So, So beautiful, good, eternal things come from bad decisions. Also, we can right. be absolutely right. Right. sure that we're doing the right thing. I see a lot of this in council, you know, some council culture, you know. I see a lot of this in the way we judge each other and how we're responding to the pandemic and so forth. Um, we can be intending all <laughs> kinds of good and actually be wrecking all kinds of bad, you know, and just not understanding that even our good right. decisions, like shutting down the economy, as we see from some of the UN studies, is going to cause millions of people to die in the poorer countries, you know, and um, nobody wants to admit all the evidence. Nobody wants to put everything on the table, which is to say, it's a good idea to wear a mask and it's a good idea to social distance and it's a good idea not to gather in groups. But there's the other side, too. And uh, wealthier countries are going to come out of this and be able to rebound faster than than uh, weaker countries. And uh, and a lot of people are going to die from suicide, and depression and from businesses that don't come back and seniors that are lonely as hell out there. And we just who's going to judge all that, you know, and who's right in all of this, blah, blah, blah. And it's only right. God can properly judge. And so we got to be super careful. That's why Jesus tells us, hmm. don't be, don't be anxious to judge. <laughs> don't be anxious to judge. But judging is so much fun, Kenneth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we all we all do it so well. <laughs> yeah. So so to this to these people that are looking about them, saying I don't I don't know if if there is a place for me here, they may not know about other denominations. I mean, heck, I was raised in a denomination that made it pretty clear that all other denominations were apostate, you know? So you, you have people that basically have been taught your version of Christianity is the only Christianity that's right. And they're looking around them and seeing their version of Christianity, not being very godly. Yeah. One of the things that's, I want to say, first of all, you're right you know, and, and listen. Um, I just feel like Christians don't listen very well, especially when somebody, <laughs> when somebody brings up something that's uncomfortable or bad or out of sorts. And we just want to go, wait, you know, we want to wave a magic wand over it. We want to, we want to stop our ears. We don't want to hear right. it. We want to sit and listen to everyone yeah. and everyone deserves to be listened to from the heart without judgment, but then we can start to, after we've listened and after we really discern and maybe 
been able to say, you know what, I, I agree with you and I, and let's pray and uh, about this. And, and let me see if there's something I can do to help in the situation where you've been abused. Then we want to start saying there's hope. One of the things that gives me a lot of hope right, right. is in the church is that, um, you know, I don't think God ever wanted the church to be divided. It's just human weakness, human frailty, our envy, our jealousy, our greed that's brought about division in the church the last thousand years. The church wasn't, the church was divided in some ways culturally and, and by language and, 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 but for the most part, it was unified the first thousand years. We can ignore the problems that were there too, but, and there were problems, but then we started separating, separating, separating. I do think that the response of God to our separation is to say, okay, I'll give a little bit of the picture of who I am to these folks and a little bit of the picture of who I am to these folks and a little bit of the picture of who I am to these folks in order that they have to come together to begin to see the full picture of who Jesus is. And I, I think until I started listening to my Anabaptist brothers, there were parts of, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, I wasn't really letting uh, be the words of God. <laughs> they really take that stuff seriously, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, yes, right. My Catholic right. brothers read John 6 in a way that my, you know, I, I was raised Pentecostal. We didn't read John 6 as talking about the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper or communion. You eat my flesh, and drink my blood. You have life in you. They helped me to read that. It's a, it's an exegetical, and it's a, it's a, let's get into the scriptures and talk about the scriptures exercise. It's a, it's a, yes, theological, you know, exercise. Um, but it's also about encounter. And so let me encounter Christ in my Presbyterian brother, you know, and in my Baptist brother and in my charismatic sister and in my uh, Orthodox sister. I think particularly the because we're Christians in the West and most of us were raised in Western institutions of Christianity, the encounter with the Christian East, particularly the Christian East of the first seven or 800 years, is a particularly fruitful ground for us to be renewed and to start being able to encounter the full fullness of who Jesus is. And that doesn't mean we have to become Eastern Orthodox and the best Eastern Orthodox people don't want to make you Eastern Orthodox and the best Catholic people don't want to make you Catholic and the best Anglicans don't want to make you Anglican and so forth. They just want you to have the full a full encounter with the person of Jesus. That's my friends or people yes. who are all yes. interested and people having the fullness of encounter with our risen Lord. And, yes. and so there's some hope there by praying with, working with, singing with, uh, reading scripture with Christians of other backgrounds. Irenaeus and his uh, exposition of the rule of faith, uh, a second century pastor, um, just two or three people removed from Christ and only one person removed from the Apostle John, talks about how they would, you know, in the ancient world, they would make these mosaics and, and on, uh, you know, on, in one town and maybe in Cappadocia somewhere, and the artists would, you know, put the what's called the hypothesis on the back of the stones, and then you would grate the stones and ship them to Rome, and then lay them out on the floor, and you needed the key in order to put the stones down. He says, you know, we need we need this encounter with Jesus Christ in order to take the the stones of Scripture and lay them out properly in order to have an image. Uh-huh an image of, of a shepherd instead of an image of a fox, you know, the image of a shepherd instead of the image of a wolf. <laughs> and yes. I believe that yeah. it's when we are encounter with the widest possible group of 
baptized and and or followers of Jesus, you know, they began to help us see the full mosaic. You know, all of the the stones are in place. You know, you might say then to this person, um, I hear you. What you're saying is right. Trust your intuition that what you're seeing isn't godly. Pursue an encounter. Jesus is here. He just may not be in all the places you've been looking. Some of the places we know to go are to the margins, to the people that are poor, to the people on the border, to the people who are struggling. Go not to save them, but to be with them. Uh, You'll find Jesus there. And then maybe be mindful of the fact that God has been at work in this broad and diverse community across time and geography and get outside your narrow community that has taught you to see God in only one way. Get outside of that and see what you discover may surprise you. Just try it. Just try those things and see if you're not surprised by an encounter with the living God. And certainly a vision of Christ um, and of your fellow humans and of the good creation that is more beautiful, vaster, more mysterious, more lovely, um, more life-giving, more um, converting of your, you know, <laughs> of yourself and of your community and of the the atmosphere around you than otherwise. Yeah. Yes. You know. Yes. And you know, yeah. I, I pray that you will, you know, um, and and ready to stand with you if you don't. Christ is always with us, even in our doubts. You know, even in our rejections. Um, even in, um, our betrayals, um, he stays and feeds us and, um, calls us his friends. Those who doubted, those who betrayed, those who, who, um, rejected, those who denied, we're all called friends. We're all fed at the same table. So you just, I'll walk with you, you know, if you, if you try these things and you're still struggling. Man, there were several times in that conversation where I felt like Father Tanner was preaching the gospel straight to me. Did you feel that too? And did you notice that the gospel he presented didn't start with condemnation? Did you notice that it never required pushing certain people out? This is how the beautiful gospel sounds. It points us to a God who is always loving and calls us to a life that loves in the same way. If, like me and so many others who've emailed me in these past weeks, you are struggling to find your footing in relationship to other Christians that you see and that you hear who simply don't seem to be living like Jesus, then Father Tanner's wisdom is a good place to start. Jesus is at work in the world around us. It just may not be in the places we expect. May you be led by the Spirit to a broader and deeper faith that transcends the politics of the moment and draws you closer to an experience of the heart of Jesus. Thank you for listening. Notes for today's episode and any links mentioned are at markallenshelsky.com forward slash TAW041. I've got a free little book I want to give you that you might find helpful in this stressful season. It's called The Anchor Prayer, a prayer and practice for remaining grounded in a chaotic world. It's just about two hours worth of reading for most people. It's very short. It walks you through a spiritual practice that has been so helpful to me as I have dealt with anxiety and all the uncertainty of this moment. Maybe you'll find it helpful too. You can get it by joining my email list. 
I send at most two emails a month, usually one. It includes links to my writing and other things that will serve you on your journey. You can find it at my website or just by going to www.markoptin.com. And also, if you like what you're hearing, I have a huge favor to ask of you. Please subscribe to this podcast on YouTube. My goal is to hit 500 subscribers. YouTube is the second largest search engine on the internet, and it's the first place people go when they want to learn something. When you like and subscribe on YouTube, even if you don't watch a lot of videos on YouTube, it tells the all-knowing YouTube algorithm that people like you might like this podcast, and that is how it gets recommended to other people. The algorithm notices every single interaction, every like, every comment, and every subscribe. So would you do me this favor? Head over to YouTube right now so you can like the video of this podcast, leave a comment about your thoughts or questions, and then subscribe to the channel. Do those three things, and we can really begin to get other people to see this conversation and find the help that they need. Thank you so much. Until next time, remember, in this one present moment, you are loved, you are known, and you are not alone.